let's turn to uh, Isaiah 61 in your in your pew Bibles, page 620. Uh, as as I said before, as we're going through Mark, we'll probably have a lot of uh, a lot of Isaiah scripture, as many have called Isaiah the fifth gospel. So here we are, Isaiah, the whole chapter 61, a fairly short chapter here. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vinedressers. But you, you shall be called the priest of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in your, their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. An everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of all the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them. And they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as the garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Turn our pew Bible. To page 836, Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 45. We read through the verse 31 verses earlier. So now we come to a section of scripture where Jesus is doing more, more ministry. So, alright, Mark 1, verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, and then I preach there. Also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. 
And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him, and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. And to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So that's the reading of God's Word. Let's pray here. Thank you, Father, for your Word. Apply it to our hearts. Grow us in faith. May your Spirit work in us mightily and give us wisdom in all things. In your Son's name. Amen. So, we've read from the beginning of Mark, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, all about who Jesus is, the preparation of John the Baptist, who was the voice crying in the wilderness, as foretold by Isaiah. And now Jesus is, has taken over from John, who's been imprisoned. He's been baptized by John. He's been sent into the wilderness to battle with Satan. And, and he was victorious over Satan in the wilderness. Unlike the first Adam, who was defeated in the paradise, the second Adam defeated Satan in the, in the wilderness. And now Jesus uh, has gone forth to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he has been healing, casting out demons, uh, and preaching. And, and it seems now that he is really drawing the crowds that John the Baptist had been. All those who are going to John the Baptist, now he's in prison, uh, have, have heard that Jesus is carrying on this message of uh, repentance and and the uh, gospel of the kingdom of God. And even more, Jesus is healing people. He's casting out demons. He's doing stuff John the Baptist never even dreamed of. He has just, uh, we just got done uh, a few weeks ago looking at the occasion where he was at uh, Peter's house and healed Peter's mother. Earlier in the day, he'd been in the synagogue and uh, and preaching and and casting out demons. And so now it seems as if the Sabbath has, has ended. That evening at sundown, that indicates that the, the Sabbath had ended and, and all the sick were being brought and the demon possessed. Folks wanted to wait till you know till the proper time to get these things done. You know, it would have been caused some turmoil if they'd done this on the Sabbath. So they know Jesus is Hold up at, at Peter's house and, and, and they start bringing them all the sick and, and the demon possessed. And it says the whole town was there. So, you know, who knows how many that could be? At least hundreds. And so he healed them. And he cast out the demons. This is quite a busy day. I mean, this is we're talking about hundreds of people here and Jesus is taking his time healing those who are sick casting out the demons, and he's still refusing to allow the demons to speak. As we hear here in Mark, he says he, he, they wanted to, uh, uh, to speak of Jesus, and he said, no, shut up. I don't need your testimony. You're a demon. What can anybody believe from you anyways? Now, we, don't, we don't believe the testimony of a lot of folks uh, 
in court because their their testimony before has been futile. It's been it's been wicked. It's been lies. So Jesus refuses the testimony of the demons. And you would think after such a busy day where he was preaching in the synagogues and healing earlier, you know, he gets to Peter's house, wanting to relax and rest, and he heals Peter's mother. And you figure, you know, you have a nice evening set before you, you can relax, and the whole town comes. So you would think that, uh, at least I would, what I would do is I would get to bed early and sleep in a little bit. But what we're told here in Mark is that no, that's not what he does. He takes off very early in the morning while it was still dark and he went to a desolate place and there he prayed. So Jesus is going back out to the wilderness not to battle with Satan this time but to to embrace his father. It's been a busy day and, and, and Jesus needed needed to commune with the Father alone. Jesus is praying to his Father. Just think about that for a minute. Jesus is uh, the perfect God man. Holy God, holy man. He didn't have any sin to worry about. And yet Jesus goes out early in the morning, we're thinking it's probably a couple hours before the sun rises, to go and be with his father. This is uh this is really convicting, at least it is it is for me. It's Jesus the the holy one. But as busy as as he is dealing with all of us, and yet he goes, or we ought to figure an hour or two to be alone with his father. What excuse does that leave me for for neglecting prayer, or for any of us? Jesus himself goes to be alone with the Father and commune with the Father and speak to Him and listen to Him. It reminds me of uh, uh, something Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said. Martin Luther was also an incredibly busy man. You know, He uh, was translating the, the whole Bible into German. He was... Uh, leading a church, he was leading a movement, he was pastoring a flock, he was a devoted pastor, loved his flock, uh, and he was battling the, you know, as he's trying to reform the church, he's of course battling the Catholic Church that didn't want reform. And, and Martin Luther once said, I am too busy, I am too busy not to pray. And I believe Luther spent two hours every morning praying, and that's, I don't know, uh, that's, a, that's a tall order. That's a lot of prayer. Maybe one day I can work myself up to two hours of prayer, but, but I do know I can pray more. I don't know that that's uh, going to be something I'm going to be able to do along with Luther. 
by the power of God, I sure could, but uh, uh, it's just a very convicting situation we have here where the Son of God is, is, is doing what He's doing in the, and then the saints that have gone before us showing us a pattern of life and devotion and daily discipline. It's very convicting to me. Now we have no clue what, oh I shouldn't say we have no clue what Jesus prayed for or, or what He was speaking of with the Father. I mean, uh, but there's nothing that gives us a direct indication, anything in particular. And we don't know exactly for how long. We could think an hour or two. But we do have to ask if, if prayer is central to Jesus, is it, this has got to be central for all of us, right? It's got to be central for the believer. Why do we pray? Would be the first question. And the Heidelberg Catechism uh, says it well. We pray. Largely because we're thankful. It is an expression of our love for God, our thankfulness for all He has done for us, and how He has blessed us. It is how we grow in grace and grow in the uh, wisdom of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's basically how we grow holy, as imperfect as we are. That is how we grow in Christ's likeness. We saturate ourselves as much as possible with the Word of God and we, uh, and we pray back to Him imperfectly as we do. We allow the, the Holy Spirit to work in us to even pray for us when we don't even know what to pray for. The Holy Spirit will utter groans. Our groaning will even turn into, into rich prayers the Holy Spirit can use. We pray to grow in Christ's likeness. That's the most important thing as we put out our, our petitions. We certainly do. That's what the, there's six of them in the Lord's Prayer. But ultimately, our, our goal of prayer is, is to be more like Christ. The Lord's Prayer, is a, as we pray every week, is wonderful. To do that as a congregation, it is unifying, it is beautiful. It centers our minds, our thoughts, our hearts. And even more, it's a, it's a template for how we pray. So how do we pray? We, we start off with, with, with praising God for who He is. We remember His greatness and that it is His will that needs to be done, not our will. We petition Him with helping us to do His will, not our will. With forgiving us, helping us not to uh, uh, go into sin. And then we praise Him. Once again, as we end our prayers, it's got to be saturated with praise and thankfulness. And we can do this Secretly, as we're learning from Jesus in this account. You know, every day, I, I start off every day with, with, with just me and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in prayer. Um, but it could be any time of day, any time you get, have time to, to pray to Christ. <coughs> and, and you do it as, as occasion arises. 
So you, you have your, your personal private prayer time, and, and you do it, you see an ambulance go down the road. How many people take the time when they see an ambulance whiz by with the sirens blaring? How many people lift that up to the Lord, having no idea what's going on, and say, Lord, please uh, heal and bless and comfort whatever's going on there? When you see someone out in public and they're crying, and you don't just intrude yourself in their lives, that'd be kind of rude. But you can you can say, Lord, what is grieving that person? Please bless them and heal them and watch over them. All kinds of occasions like this happen every day with us. And then we pray continuously. That's what Paul admonishes us to do in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray continuously. This does not mean that we don't go about our work day. We don't do the things... Uh, that we need to do take care of our families and, and, and such. Put that throughout the day. We pray about this, that, the other thing, whatever it might be. Just two seconds. The Sunday school lesson was a beautiful picture of this. Nehemiah, the fourth king, he's already been praying in private. He goes to the king and the king is wondering what's wrong with Nehemiah. Why why are you downcast? Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the Lord. I mean, the cup, well, cupbearer of, a, of the, the Lord of Persia. Um, and so, you know, the, the king kind of really wants to know what's wrong with this cupbearer. If the cupbearer is sick, he's probably going to get sick pretty quick too. And he asked Nehemiah. Nehemiah is frightened. He doesn't want to tell the king, you know, I, need, I want to go to Jerusalem and, and help fix the city. So Nehemiah, briefly, maybe even as he's talking to the king, utters a prayer. doesn't tell us what. It just says, and Nehemiah prayed. This is how we pray continuously throughout the day. We don't just sit huddled down in a corner praying all day. That'd be worthless. You know, we wouldn't. We wouldn't be productive human beings. God does, doesn't call us to, to that kind of a thing. But we can pray continuously throughout our work day, uh, at home, wherever we're at, shopping, doing whatever. We can continuously, as, as things arise, as we're prompted by the Holy Spirit or, or situations, we can, we can lift our thoughts and our soul up to the Lord and, and pray to Him. So, back to the text where you know Jesus is, is in the wilderness. He's gone to the wilderness to be with his Father. And, and we find out that the disciples are looking for him. And from what we can gather, uh, <coughs> they had a bit of a crowd with them. Possibly many of those who were there the night before. And it says, Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Kind of as if they're saying, What are you doing out here? you got a whole town full of people that, that, that want to see you. What are you doing? And it doesn't seem like Jesus really gets mad at him. He just exhorts him. He just says, Hey, Got work to do. There's other towns to go to. He says, 
let us go on to the next towns and I may preach there. For this is why I came out. This was Jesus' purpose. Excuse me. To preach the gospel in all the synagogues. Wherever he could. To get out the message of, of the kingdom of God is coming. All that you've read about in the Old Testament is here. He didn't just he wasn't a circus act that was just there to heal everybody and cast out demons and No, he had something far more important preaching the gospel. As important as healing is, because no one likes to be sick. The eternal weight of glory, the greatness of the gospel is far more important because one day we're going to get sick and aren't getting better. That's just the way it is. But the gospel is forever. And this is why Jesus came, was to preach the message of salvation to those who have ears to hear. And so, well, uh, in chapter 2, the first section in chapter 2 is, is puts that all together beautifully about healing and preaching and, and forgiveness and everything and what Jesus came for. So we'll not go any further on that. Um, but that, it seems, just as we're getting ready to head out, uh, that Jesus gets confronted by a leper who comes to him imploring him and kneeling, saying, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, kneeling was fairly normal in that day, but it's still a sign of respect. You know, so people are wondering, is, is, is this leper worshiping Jesus? <coughs> well, yeah, it could be. I mean, kneeling is something that... that in this culture, you're just generally done on a fairly normal basis. It didn't necessarily mean you're worshiping. What he does say, if you will, you can make me clean. So, this leper is humbly acknowledging that Christ can heal him of his leprosy. And his account tells us this man was filled with leprosy. So this might have been kind of the last, last straw for him. He might have been losing body parts by now and stuff like that because of his leprosy. We don't know. He was probably disfigured facially and such as that. Um, he was filled with leprosy. It was, <coughs> it was running its course. And even still, he, he doesn't assume upon Christ and say, you've got to heal me. He says, no, I know you can, but will you heal me? I like how the New King James puts it better where, where Jesus says, I am willing to be clean. And as he speaks the words, the leper is whole. He's clean. No more spots. No more leprosy. It's all vanished. 
It's all gone. All, all the years he's been living with this horrific disease, and in one moment, Christ sends it fleeing from him. Jesus is willing. He loves to heal his people. Even though this man, you know, more than likely it wasn't his sin that uh, that made him a leper. It's not normally our sin that makes us sick. But it is the reason illness is here. It's because of sin. In the garden, when sin came forth from Adam and Eve and polluted all of creation, that's where illness and disease comes from. So, you know, we don't have any reason to suspect when somebody's sick that it's because of some sin in their life. But we do know that their illness is because of sin in the world. And Jesus is battling this with every fiber of his being. He hates the sin that is running rampant, which causes illness, which disfigures his people. People made in his image. Jesus hates that this runs rampant and he sees every occasion he has to heal, we see him doing it. And yet after he heals this man of his leprosy, his response is uh, strong. It says that he sternly charged him, sternly warned him. I mean, kind of like there's a I mean, the gruffness about what Jesus is telling him. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So he's telling them, be quiet. Okay? And, and go show yourself to the priest. This is the way it's done in, in Israel. This is the system that's set up. Christ set this system up. This is the system of God. The, the priestly office, which declares those who have leprosy, if they've been cleansed, it, can, it declares them clean. This can take up to a week and have several sacrifices. And Jesus, as excited as he knows this man is, he's, he's telling him, now come on, let's do this. This is going to glorify God more than anything. If you go to the priest, go to the temple... And have them look you over. Because once again, it, it takes about a week. It's not just, oh yeah, you look alright. You're good. Let's go. No, it, it takes, they want to make sure the leprosy is gone. And Jesus is not dishonoring the law of God. He's not trying to destroy the law. He is here to fulfill it. And he is telling this man to do this in the proper order. This is the way it's supposed to be done. This is the way we've ordained it. So that you can be declared clean by the priest and go about your life. And go into the towns and everywhere you want to go and, and, and just have this new, amazing life that you could not have as a leper. And even more, this would be a witness to the priest and the priesthood, you know, a witness for Christ or, or you know, against them, for Christ or against them. If they see this and, and they understand it was Jesus that healed them, they can either uh, be converted, so to speak, and say, yes, this is amazing. You've never seen anything like this. Or they could say, oh, this is crazy. I, yeah, 
this is great that he's healed, but we don't have nothing to do with Jesus. It, 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 one way either converts him or condemns him. It's a witness to the to the priesthood. And yet, I mean, we, we don't know that this man ever did go to the priest. Probably did at some point, but he, he certainly doesn't do what Jesus told him. He, he blabbed everyone, everywhere he went. Which, I mean, it's... it's, it's I mean, I'd do it too, probably. But, I mean, it's hard to imagine not. But he was still, I mean, he, he went against the commands of the Lord. <clears throat> and this, this leaves a situation uh, in an interesting uh, paradox. This leper, who for his whole life pretty much has been banished to the wilderness, has been cleansed and now can go wherever he wants. While the Holy Son of God, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, is now banished to the wilderness. This is kind of a a great exchange. Jesus banished the leprosy from the man, and now the man is clean. And yet, because of what the man has done, Jesus is is banished to the wilderness and can't go into the towns. As it plainly says here, Jesus could no longer openly enter the town, but was out in the desolate places. Yet, the people were still coming to him from every quarter. So what, what do we learn from this, this passage? We learn that we pray. I mean, it's pretty much very similar to what we learn every every lesson, every scripture. Just what we do as Christians. It's our breath. We, we pray to God. We pray to Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we grow through that prayer. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's great and comforting and wonderful. But we grow more and more like Christ every time we, we humbly go to the Father and, and understand that He is our Father. We desperately need Him. We are in our sin and misery. <clears throat> and we need God's blessing. Now we learned that, that, that the Word of God is central. The preached Word of God, the, the taught Word of God, it's central in our lives. It's what we are here for. We are here to tell people about Christ, about His Word. It should be <clears throat> something that we, we speak often of. As, as occasion arises, as things arise, we can speak the Word of God into, into all kinds of situations. Certainly had plenty of occasions this last week. It was a crazy week in Nebraska. And most importantly, we praise Christ for the great exchange. <clears throat> the exchange that we saw here between Christ and the leper can be seen as a picture of the great exchange. Where he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We are spiritual lepers and Christ took that sin upon Him the cross 
was imputed to him. And we receive his righteousness, his cloak of righteousness as we read in Isaiah. So when the Father looks down upon us, he doesn't see us in our sin and misery. He sees us cloaked in Christ. This is the great exchange. We are no longer spiritually lepers, but we are righteous in Christ because of what he has done for us. And that is the thing that we have to praise him for every day of our lives. It is just a wonderful, amazing truth that helps us to see Christ for who he is and us for who we are and just what a blessing it is to understand that we serve such a great and amazing God. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for your word in Mark and, uh, and the truth it gives us, Lord, that, that we uh, help us to live it and uh, to take it wherever we go and to bless others. Just grow us in the faith. Help us to remember Christ in all we do. We pray this in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen.